We have been in a, a sermon series this summer called the, the Heart of Worship, and our task this summer has been to plumb the depths of the heart of God. And these inspired psalms, these poems, have bridged this, this time, space, and matter, transporting us to the center of God's heart. And the deeper that we interact with God in these psalms, the more complicated yet clearer it has become that the cross of Christ is the pinnacle of the heart of God. Now, there's a picture. This picture is a picture of a camp that was on the Syrian border in a town in Iraq called Husayba. It was a camp called Camp Gannon. Camp Gannon no longer exists anymore. But in 2005, my reconnaissance platoon was tasked with, with doing operations in Husayba. Husayba was the next hotbed after Fallujah. And so we went into Huseba, and as we, as we uh, proceeded with our mission, everything seemed to be an IED. Every, everything, everyone seemed to be a bad guy. And there was a lot of fear and anxiety that just existed as we, as we moved forward. And, and as we were at the pinnacle of this fear and anxiety, we saw Camp Gannon. And Camp Gannon was nothing but a bunch of sandbags in the middle of this hotbed city on the Syrian border with a rifle uh, platoon or rifle company reinforced, but it was a refuge to us. And so when we saw these sandbags, we were so, so excited. And last month, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 22. And there was a big giant cross here, and during the service, I asked if you had um, anything that you wanted to cast at the foot of the cross, any, anything that was on your heart to cast it. And many of you participated in that, and you wrote it down, and you cast it at the foot of the cross. And over the last month, I've been praying for those things. And as I prayed through those things, I realized that most of them centered around fear and anxiety, the fear and anxiety of life. And we, and, and we get this because many of us right now, even as, as fall approaches, some of you had to say goodbye to your children as they go to college. Some of you have lost loved ones this summer. Some of you have changed jobs. Some of you have experienced these, these relational strains and there's this fear and anxiety in life. And we may not be in war, but life sure feels like a battle sometimes. And we need refuge. And as Christians, we worship God when we take refuge in Him. God wants us to take refuge in Him. It's worship as we take refuge in Him. And today's message is titled, The Cross-Centered Refuge. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 91. Now, Psalm 91 is a psalm of praise. and It's a psalm of praise that is praising the fact that we could trust God for our strength for our refuge and to be a refuge to us. And the author of the psalm is unknown. Um, some people attribute it to David, but it's really unknown. Uh, you'll notice that in the, in, in the psalms that if, uh, in the past, if people weren't really sure who wrote it, they just said David did because he wrote most of them. This one is unknown. But there's this imagery here. You, you'll see this imagery in Psalm 91 that really presents these numerous threats and how God extinguishes those threats and how we could trust God and we could seek refuge in him. And seeking refuge is not a foreign concept to us. 
We have this natural inclination for self-preservation, so we understand the idea of seeking refuge. But I think as Christians, we really don't understand the practicalities of what it means to seek refuge in God. We get it intellectually, but practically in our, in our Christian walk, it's what does that mean? What does that look like? So today what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 1, and I specifically want to look at Psalm 91, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. We'll bring in other elements of the psalm, but I really want to focus on those two verses and look at three aspects, practically, how we could take refuge in God. So let us pray and ask God to just bless this time. Father, we bless you and we entreat you by the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to teach us the things that we do not know. Lord, we are fearful and we are anxious and we don't even know why sometimes. And sometimes we do know why. And so we want to seek refuge in you, but we just don't know how. So be with us, teach us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And may you be given the honor and glory through that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing we see is a heart of worship dwells in the continual presence of God. Verse 1 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now that word dwells means to inhabit. It means we must inhabit God. And it has these, this temple imagery. The psalmist in his day it would have meant to dwell physically in the temple and meet God. So for us, we see a heart of worship inhabits the presence of God. And as my reconnaissance platoon approached Camp Gannon, we couldn't just sit there and go, oh, there's Camp Gannon. We had to inhabit the camp. We had to inhabit the shelter of those sandbags. We couldn't just look there and, and, and admire it. So the question is, is, how do we inhabit the presence of God? Well, first, we must have a proper view of God. And God must stop being small in our eyes and in our lives. And we often give the circumstances and the, the people in our lives the throne of our hearts instead of, instead of where God's supposed to be, which is on the throne of our hearts. And as God shrinks, as, as the circumstances and people sh just, just snuff out God in our hearts, we start to become practical atheists in our life. Yeah, we give glory to God, but the way we live is as if he doesn't exist. And fear and anxiety take over. And in Psalm 91, we are given multiple names of God to recalibrate and give us a bigger vision of God. We see that in Psalm 91. God is called the Most High, Elion, the Exalted One with, with all authority. He's called the Almighty, El Shaddai, the One with absolute power. He's the Lord, Yahweh, the Great I Am. He's my God, Elohim, the One who rules the universe and deserves worship. And so we must, we must see God for who he is. He's the infinite God of the universe, bigger than we could possibly imagine. I mean, I say this now and then, and I'll probably say it over the years, so just you'll probably hear it a few times, but I can't even figure out calculus. How am I going to figure out the God of the world? He's infinite. He's bigger than we could possibly imagine. So we must have this proper view of God. We must also seek sacred shelter. And that word shelter in here means a, a, a suitable place for hiding oneself. We must hide in the shelter of God. 
And the fact is, is we don't have to go to a temple because the universe is God's temple. And in some mystical way in Christ, we are his temple. We are living bricks of the living God of the universe. And every location is sacred space if we inhabit it, if we, if we see God for who he is. Some of you are sitting in this church at this very moment and you haven't inhabited sacred space because your mind's not even on God or worshiping God. But yet, we could inhabit sacred space anywhere, at our works, at our desk, at home. I mean, when I was in California, I used to have a long commute. It was an hour and a half now and then, depending on the traffic. And it would be bumper to bumper, and I would just be praying to God in my car, and people thought I was crazy, but that was sacred space. I probably should have took my shoes off like Moses, but I didn't because I had to drive. But long story short, we could inhabit sacred space anywhere. But it's not just enough to seek sacred space. We must access sacred shelter. We must access it. And every shelter has a key, just like at your home. You have a key to get into your home. And and there's a key for us that grants us access to this sacred shelter. And the key for us is the cross of Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Christ dwelt among us, heaven and earth came crashing down, granting us full access through faith to the peace, to the shelter of God, to the shalom of God. Jesus grants us that access. So what does dwelling in God's presence look like? What does it look like practically? You're talking about this, but what does it look like? Friends, we've got to slow down. We have to slow things down. We, we often wear busyness as a badge of honor. I am so busy, and we don't mean it in a bad way. Like, we're saying, I'm so busy, I must be really valuable, or I must really, like, be just rocking it in life. We need to slow down. We need to listen to God. We need to listen in prayer. Do we ever just listen to God in prayer, or do we just have our laundry list of stuff and just throw it at Him? And the faster we get through the laundry list, the better, because we have stuff to do. Do we just listen? Do we observe God? There's these sacramental acts that we could participate in throughout our lives. One of mine is sitting on my back porch and just hearing the wind in the trees. And I meet God there. That is sacred space right there. When I was, when I was younger, it was watching my kids sleep. That was sacred space. And so I want to challenge you to, to slow down. Maybe just a few times like where you say, you know what, at noon, I'm just going to slow down wherever I'm at. I just want to listen to God. It could be at your desk. You could, put, you could put headphones in. It could be at home. You could go into a closet. It doesn't matter. Sacred space is anywhere, but slow down. Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know what that looks like. Well, in September, we start our prayer week. And if you don't know what that looks like, I would encourage you to participate in that because that's a good primer to understand what it means to slow down. So that's the first thing. Second thing, a heart of worship rests in the relational security of God. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Now the word rest here implies this continual abiding in, the security and the secure relational covering of God. 
We have to, we have to continually abide. You're, you're granted access in the shelter, but you need to continually be in that sense. You need to continually rest. Because it's real easy. We, we, we spend some time with God and we, and we dwell in his presence and then things come up and we totally forget. So we must continually abide and rest in him. And, and when, I was, when we entered in Camp Gannon, my, my reconnaissance, reconnaissance platoon, we, we entered into Camp Gannon and we had, we had caused a stir amongst the whole town. And so they started launching rockets at Camp Gannon. And so the Marines that were in charge of the camp started launching Mortar rounds right back at him. Am I good? I'm moving around too much. Thank you. So started launching rounds back at us. They started launching rounds at us. And so the Marines that I was with sort of launching mortar rounds back at them. And they ushered us in to this bunker so that we could find refuge in this bunker. And I remember listening to the Marines return fire with the, with the mortars, thinking to myself, they're going to protect us. They're going to protect us because we are brothers in arms, and they're going to protect us, and they would risk their life for us. They're going to protect us. And I knew that we had this relational bond. Just turn it off. I'm just going to use the pulpit mic. And I knew that we had this relational bond. And because I was secure in that relational bond, I knew that we would be all right. And much of our fear and anxiety has foundational roots in, this, in these relational insecurities. Yet we can rest and abide in our relational security with God because he's already proven that he would give his life for us. He's proven that in the person of Jesus Christ. So we could trust him. We could rest in that relational security. And when we continually abide in Christ, when we continually abide in God, we are given a promise. Verse 5 says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So when we rest in God, our fear and anxiety dissolves. But this doesn't mean as Christians, we're not going to experience evil and pain and suffering or death. Because this is some lofty, a lofty promise. What it does mean, though, is that evil, pain, suffering, and death do not have the last word. It means that those things that are the source of our fear and anxiety do not have ultimate power over us. And this is God's promise in Christ. But this requires us to rest in a cross-centered reality. You see, we live in a culture that says... Reality is, is relative to individuals. So if what's right for me is right for you, and what's real for me is real for me, and what's real for you is real for you. And God says that's not how we are to, to, to think of reality. We must have this cross-centered reality. We read in verse 14, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with life, with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, this is an interesting piece of scripture where, where Christ's life and our life comes crashing together because this really is the Father speaking of the Son. He's saying, Because he loves me, because my eternal Son loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. 
He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that becomes us. That becomes our reality, our cross-centered reality. And that's the good news of the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not deserve to rest in God. Yet God, the eternal Son, comes down, steps down from heaven and lives a perfect and righteous life. One that we can never live. Part of our fear and anxiety is the fact that we know we don't measure up. But Christ does measure up. And he lives a perfect and righteous life. And he's nailed to a cross. And the punishment that we deserved is, is poured upon him. And three days later, he is resurrected, brought to new life. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we too are resurrected. And in Christ, his obedience becomes our reality. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His death becomes the death of who we once were. We're no longer who we once were. We are a new creation in Christ. His exaltation becomes our exaltation. And this just blows my mind. We become co-heirs with him. And when the Father sees us, he sees his Son. And in some wonderful way, our DNA is interwoven with his DNA. And we become a part of his body. And so this means no matter what, we will persevere. No matter what, we are loved by the Eternal Father. Because he cannot deny his son. And since we are in Christ, he sees us as Christ, he cannot deny us. This is a deep truth. And this is something to grasp onto. We are relational secure. We read in Romans 8, 35 and through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure. So the question is, what sort of grace has God given us to continually abide in him? What has he given us? What? what what has he given us so that we could continually rest and abide in him? You see, we get the individualistic idea of our relationship with Christ. We're like, yeah, i, I got to put my faith in Christ. I got it. But there's more. And God has given us more. And the number one grace God has given us to abide and rest in him is the church. Is the body, the body of Christ. The body of Christ that was forged in the work of the cross. You see... When I, was sit, when I was in that bunker with, my, with my, my fellow Marines, and those mortar rounds were being exchanged, and you just heard the thud, 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 thud. I knew I was going to be all right. Because I was with my other Marines. And that bunker was sweaty and gross, and we were dogpiled in there. But I was fine. I felt great. Because I knew I wasn't alone, and we were encouraging each other. And things were going to be okay. And some of you are sitting here and you feel alone. Yet you are in the body of Christ. Things are going to be okay. So I encourage you to find and embrace corporate life in Christ. This is your family. Part of this mystical body. Look around you real quick. 
These people, these are the people you're going to be with for eternity, so you better start getting used to them. Some of you are involved in small groups, and I think that's a, just an excellent place to start off and, and really experience corporate life in Christ. If you're not, I would encourage you to be part of a small group. You're going to see, uh, you're going to be in, invited to that in the next few weeks. This is a, this is a, a big thing. Finally, uh, a heart of worship, trust in the faithfulness of God. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. That word refuge means someone I turn to for assistance or security. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Friends, let's just throw it out there. We have trust issues. We have trust issues for good reason. Because we've been burned and people have let us down. But here's the thing. You can't flourish in life from a place of mistrust. You can't. You're actually paralyzed by it. As I was in that bunker and I heard the Marines, 18-year-old kids returning, returning fire, I would think to myself, man, I really got to trust these Marines. I got to trust that they're going to do the right thing and they know what they're doing. Because the natural inclination is I wanted to go up there and show them how to do it. But I wasn't a mortarman. I didn't even know what I was doing. But I like, thought, well, I could probably do it better than them, even though they, you know. And we do that sometimes in our lives. We're like, oh, I got this. And we try, to, we try to take control of it. And we do this especially with our relationship with God. We have trust issues, so we usurp God's place in our life. And there are two elements of trust that we have to embrace. Confidence in and reliance upon. Confidence and reliance. And a heart of worship has complete confidence and reliance in God for everything. We read that God is our refuge, our fortress, our shield, our rampart, and he is faithful. Yet if we are honest with ourselves, our confidence is in our job, our family, our reputation, our marriage. And from the very beginning, we're taught to only rely upon ourselves. I mean, we, we, have, we use expressions like self-made man or she really pulled herself up by her own bootstraps. But those things that we've placed our confidence and reliance upon, those people, those jobs, they're not big enough to withstand the pressures of life. And many of you know this. Some of you have switched jobs. Some of you have had relational breaks. And you're like, yeah, this doesn't work. And it was never meant to work. And when, they de- when those, those things in our lives that we've placed confidence and reliance upon fail, we have this fear and, we, and anxiety. And we go, I don't know why I'm so fearful and anxious. Because those things were never meant to bear the weight of life. We are finite. We are limited. Yet God is infinite. And he is faithful to us when we are not faithful to him. And the cross is the biggest signpost to God's unyielding faithfulness to us. When we look at that cross, we should sit there and go, God is so faithful to me. He is so faithful to my family. He's so faithful to us. And I don't deserve any of this. So we can trust God. He is trustworthy. And we trust even when we can't explain it. Like I said, I can't figure out calculus. How am I going to figure out what God's doing in life? 
I just know I can trust him because he's proven that to me by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And there's times where when we can't explain it, then we have to pray. We have to pray where, where we just pray and we say, God, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. God, I do trust, but help me overcome this distrust I have. And we just fall at the mercy of our Lord. So the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to take risks? Do you expect him to show up when you call upon him? Or do you have a backup plan? I mean, it is Massachusetts in the summertime. So maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, God, I am calling upon you. I trust you. But you might be on vacation because everyone else is. So I'll go ahead and I'll have a backup plan here. You know what I'm talking about. Just in case God doesn't want to answer my prayer the way I want it answered. I got this ready to roll. So do you trust him enough to allow that fear, that anxious, anxiousness that, that has gripped your life? Do you, allow, do you trust him enough to just hand that over? And just let him do whatever he wills. And he's the sovereign God of the universe. I'm going to invite Fernando to come up here. As I conclude, as I was in that bunker hearing those mortar rounds being exchanged and feeling the thuds, the whole ground shook. I can honestly tell you I had the best sleep I've ever slept in that bunker. Why? Because circumstances were different? No. The threat of danger was real, but I had found my refuge. And this time tomorrow, life will continue. And you're going to feel this insecurity, this this fear, this anxiety, because things in life happen. I'm going to encourage you to inhabit sacred space. Maybe come alongside someone and trust in our cross-centered refuge. And I don't want to just give you this challenge and walk away. I want us to do it right now. So let's worship God. And I'm going to ask Fernando to play here in a minute. And what I want us to do is I want us to inhabit inhabit sacred space. I want us just to sit here and I want us to to listen to God. As, As Fernando plays, just go in a spirit of prayer and just listen to God. Slow everything down. Listen to him. And if you feel he's working in your heart and you could give him something because because you need to trust him with something, then pray to him. And perhaps there's someone beside you that you feel that you are called to pray for. You don't have to pray out loud. Just silently, maybe put your hand on their shoulder or their hand just so they know that they're not in this alone. And pray for them. So let us spend some time just inhabiting this sacred space and meeting God as we worship the heart of worship.